Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Good morning, Ascent. So good to see you guys. Uh, Awesome worship. The cricket evidently really liked it as well. Uh, I had an opportunity to kill him this morning, and I'm regretting not doing it, but I'm preaching on mercy today. And it was like, man, this is a, I can't kill him and then talk about mercy. Uh, So, but sometimes justice is needed. And uh, if the cricket happens to walk your way, I will not judge you if you squish it. Okay. And if he comes up here, it's going to be a really exciting sermon because I, I will kill him in front of all of you. And I know God's sense of humor. It'll literally be when I'm talking about mercy because that's just the way it tends to work. Uh, we are uh, in Second John, as uh, Briley just read us. Uh, not John chapter 2, which you're probably more familiar with, but Second John. It's a, one of the smallest books, if not the smallest book in the Bible. It's written by the Apostle John. John's uh, older now. He's really the last of the main disciples uh, alive. Uh, all the other ones, Peter and James, they were killed for their faith in Jesus. John was actually exiled. So they took him to, a, to the island of Patmos and they put him there. And they said, John, just don't talk about people. We keep killing these other guys and it makes the Christian movement move faster. So they said, so John, we're just going to put you on an island somewhere. And John sat down and wrote, you know, some of the Bible, which you know, probably is not what they were hoping would happen, but it's what happened because God's kingdom is empowered by his spirit, not by what we try to do or not do. And uh, so John sits down and he writes Second and Third John to these local churches. And he's writing to them uh, some really important things, but they're really short because John tells them in both of the end of the letters, he says, I, I want to tell you these things face to face. I don't want to use paper and ink. So I'm going to come and I'm going to enjoy our company together and we're going to talk about these things in person. But here's the really important thing you guys need to know why I get my travel arrangements in, in place. And in Second John, we see some really important things about our relationship with God. We're in this series called It's Complicated. It's been all about relationships. And uh, I started the start of the series talking about horizontal relationships, like the relationships you have with your spouses and with friends and the way we relate with one another. But we're going to end this series the last three weeks talking about our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. Because honestly, if we don't get our vertical relationship with God right, we'll never be able to get our horizontal relationships right with others. We have to come from a place of love, not working for this internal sense of love that we deserve. We have to know we are valued and loved by God before we can get to a place where we can value and love others. I truly believe that. And uh, as we jump into Second John, we're going to see the simple gospel. And I was reading a, a study uh, this week from the Barna Group. They do a lot of research. And uh, they called people, and they, they, they talked to people who would uh, profess Christianity. So that they didn't just profess it, but they also made sure that, like, you know, they did some things that Christians do. Do you believe the Bible is God's word? Do you attend uh, a local church? Are you part of a local church? And the people said yes, so they knew that these people uh, were like you guys. They're churchgoers. They're Christians. And uh, they asked them this question. They said, we're going to give you a statement, and I want you to tell us if you agree with it or disagree with it. And the statement was this. They said, the Christian life is about trying really hard to follow God's commands. I'm not going to make you answer the question, but I wonder if you would agree with that statement. The Christian life is about trying really hard to follow God's commands. 65% said, yes, that's what it's about. They agree with that statement, which means that probably some of you in this room agree with that statement. That if Blake, if I had to sit down with you and boil down the Christian life, I would say the Christian life is about trying really hard to follow God's commands. 
Now, I disagree with that statement. Here's a plot twist. I'll tell you what my statement for the Christian life would be at the end of this message. But I want to tell you just kind of two problems I have with that statement. Statement number one is it's missing the name of a very important person. Anybody know that person's name? Jesus. Yes, that's always the answer when the pastor asks a question in a church service. Jesus. Yeah, he's kind of a big deal. I don't know if you guys have heard about him, um, but in the Christian faith, it's, it's really, it's all about Jesus. Uh, I was on a church website this past week, and man, they had a lot of cool programs. They had a lot of awesome stuff going on, a lot of big words about how inclusive and wonderful and loving they were. But on the website, I could not find the name of Jesus. Like, uh-oh, that's kind of a bad deal. It's like corn nuts. There's no corn or nuts, yet they call them corn nuts. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that blows my mind too. But churches without Jesus are, are kind of pointless churches. Like you're missing the key ingredient to the thing that is supposed to be happening here. And, and then my second problem with it is this, is that the message of Jesus is called the gospel. And the gospel means good news. Now, you tell me, if I were to sit down with you and say, hey, here's this life, and what I want you to do, and you're going to fail miserably, is I want you to try really hard to keep all of God's commands. That's not good news. That might be advice, right? Like, here's something you ought to do, and there's a part of that in the Christian faith. I'm not going to say there's not advice, but the gospel is news. Like, like news is, at the end of World War II, when we dropped all the pamphlets saying the war was over and the, the people who had been bombed mercilessly from the Nazis got that pamphlet and they read it, the war is over. They didn't have to do anything. They just rejoiced over the news that had happened. It's like, this is a fact. It's over. We won. They're not going to bomb you anymore. You don't have to worry about your children anymore. It's good news. Jesus says he preaches gospel. Good news. And that's what we're going to look at. And this is what John is so concerned about and why he's writing this postcard to this church. Why? Well, verse 7 tells us. Because our enemy's main tactic is to deceive and to lie to us. And the main thing he lies to us about is the gospel, God's word. So let's just look at what he says. He has some kind of harsh words. He says, many deceivers. How many? A lot of them. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, and they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So, number one, a deceiver will uh, not tell you the truth about what Jesus has done for you. Our Christian faith should be built upon the fact that we trust in the work of Jesus, and we are guided by the words of Jesus, his work and his words. See, the first thing that the deceivers do, even at the early church level, which is amazing, right? Like you think they would pretty much have it all figured out at that point in time, and maybe we got worse over time. No, the same problems then are the problems now. There's people coming around saying, I don't know if Jesus really died for our sins. I don't know if Jesus really rose from the dead. He's more of kind of like a thought leader. He's more of kind of like a spiritual kind of type guide for your life. And, and you know, whatever way you want to believe, that's fine for you. Does that sound familiar? This is the same kind of teaching we hear today. So they, they don't tell you the truth about the works of Jesus. And then verse 8, it says, Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not maintain, remain in Christ's teaching. So here's the word. There's the work of Jesus coming in flesh. Now here's the words of Jesus. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching... This one has both the Father and the Son. We don't get to go beyond God's teaching. And this is why Blake Farley generally preaches like I'm preaching right now, which is I open the Bible, I pick a book of the Bible, and all I'm trying to do is explain to you what it says. 
Because otherwise, I will go outside of what this book says. I will give you my opinions. I will give you my advice. And they might be good sometimes. Most of the time, they're worthless. Uh, And what you're going to do is if you build your life based upon Blake Farley, you're not really building your life upon a solid foundation. And my wife said, amen. (laughs) We build upon the foundation of Jesus. Verse 10 says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the work of Jesus and the words of Jesus, do not receive him into your home and don't greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Now, this doesn't mean if you got a friend who's not a Christian, you got to slam the door in their face and say, get out of here with your evil works. <laughs> the reason he says this is because the early church didn't have the benefits and the blessings that we have. In other words, they didn't have church buildings because they would be killed. Like they, they, were, they were stamped out. They didn't have money. It was the poor people. It was the people who the Roman government really was kind of really skeptical of. And they wouldn't have allowed them to build buildings like you and I have in this culture. So where did the early Christians meet? They met in houses. And what would happen in this day is they didn't have podcasts. They didn't have like, uh, you know, where the preacher could, John could, uh, you know, shoot a video and then send this to them. They had teachers who would go around. The Apostle Paul was one of them. He would go around to the houses and they would come in and they would sit down and they would teach the way of God. And the people would live life together and they would obey God's commands together. And these teachers would come. And so the churches got accustomed because they're loving and graceful to allowing these teachers to come in. You teach us what you know about God. Okay, here's this new teacher. His name is Paul. You teach us what you know about God. And they would listen to these things. And John says, you've got to be very careful who you allow to teach. You've got to be very careful. Because there are deceivers who will take away from the words and the works of Jesus. That's why if you come to ascent, you don't have to believe what I believe. You can sit out there and believe whatever you want to believe and and come as long as you want. We love you. We welcome you. We are okay with people of other beliefs coming into our church family and setting and learning. Now, I'm trying to convert you. Like a car salesman trying to sell a car, I, you got to know up front. I think Jesus is awesome. I want you to love Jesus. My, my, like, is he trying to convert us? Yes, trying to convert you every single week. Uh, but you're more than welcome to come. And we're going to be open-minded and, and we're going to love you where you are. But you're not allowed to stand up here. <laughs> like you're not allowed to put this microphone on and talk about things that are anti-Jesus. And you're not allowed to lead a small group. And, and, and if you start talking things and trying to teach people things that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus, I'm going to have a stern word with you because God says I'm like a shepherd. You know what shepherds do? They beat the wolves with their sticks. <laughs> and I will beat you. <laughs> Get over here, cricket. Um, so that's what I'm supposed to do. So what I want to do for this week and next week is I want to look at both sides of this. I said we've got to build it upon the, the work of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And that's what John does in verses 1 through 6. It's really the, the simple gospel message, the simple Christian life that we are to live. This week, I'm going to look primarily at the, the work of Jesus and what that means for us as Christians. And then next week, we'll look at how do we actually live our life guided by the words of Jesus. So let's, uh, let's first look at... Uh, verse one together and we'll just we'll walk through it i think we're only going to get to verse three today Uh, but first let me pray i got excited and uh, i need to pray (laughs) father god thank you so much for this word lord it is it is amazing how much of your spirit can inspire in such a short little book god and it's so relevant for where we live today lord this is truly a timeless truth god i pray that today people would begin to see you as a heavenly father. I pray today that somebody for the first time ever would be born again. By that, I mean they would would have a new perspective on who you are and what you mean for them. Or that they would experience your grace, your mercy, and your peace. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. 
So John opens with a greeting because it is a letter. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Now it's kind of encrypted. John doesn't say, hey, I'm John writing to the church. Because uh, if, if you think it's bad, like how government spies on people today, you would have really hated living in the Roman Empire because they would just, you know, you send a letter and they'd just open that bad boy up and see what you were saying to your friend. And uh, what they didn't want to do, what John didn't want to do is draw attention to a local church somewhere, right? Like, I'm John writing to the Christians because then the government would have you know, spied on them and possibly taken action and persecuted them. So John writes in cryptic that only Christians would truly understand. He says the elder, which means like the leader, to the elect lady and her children. What is that? The elect lady is a church. See, in the Bible, Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. So only a Christian would probably know that theology. And then it says to her children, and guess who her children are? It'd be you guys. It'd be the members of the church. And really the foundation of the work of Jesus is realizing this. And this is so important. You are a loved child of God if you have faith in Jesus. That's who you are at your identity level. And if you don't see God as a loving father, then you will not have the right perspective of the gospel. And it'll turn into a really hard life of thinking the Christian life is all about trying to please this taskmaster named God who's waiting to fire you. A lot of people have more of a boss to employee type relationship with God than a father to son or father to daughter relationship. You're like, my boss is a pretty nice guy, but man, if I keep messing up, eventually he's going to fire me. But that's not who God is. God is a father. And, and you who are parents especially of younger children. You know your kids make mistakes all the time, and yet you still love them. Like, nobody kicks out their five-year-old because they spilled their juice. If you do, we have other problems we need to discuss. No good parent kicks out their children for making mistakes. Don't point at your wife. Don't do that. That's just not going to end well for that fellow. Riley Goodwin, my goodness. So we got to have this kind of perspective of the way that God loves us. And John is going to tell us what that entails. And there's really three things. So verse 2, it says, uh, he says, I love you and all also who know the truth. Verse 2 says, because of the truth, that be the gospel that remains in us and will be with us forever. Which is to say, we are family forever, by the way. So your relationships with with people who are in the church of Jesus uh, actually are more enduring than the, the family relationships you have based upon blood. Because I don't know if you guys have recognized this, but everybody who's born... Uh, of the flesh dies. In other words, we all die. Like you, one day you're going to die. Uh, you can pray and pray and pray and God will show up sometimes and there's miracles and there's things that take place. But every man is appointed a day until they, when they will die. Uh, in fact, God says like, we're, we're invincible until that day. But when that day comes, there's nothing we can do to prolong it. We will die. And in those moments, all family relationships end. But the relationships that keep going are those who are born of the spirit. Because Jesus says you have eternal life. You last forever. So I say this to say some of you guys need to start getting along with one another because you're going to be together for a very, very long time. Okay, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. And here's where I want to spend our time. Grace, mercy, and peace. These are what we receive from Jesus. Words are kind of like suitcases. Like we say a word and it holds a lot of information. Uh, kind of like, you know, if I'm talking to you and you're telling me about your family and I know who your family is, you're not going to say their names every time. You're going to start saying we. Like you're not going to say, well, Rob, John, Billy Boy, uh, Billy Boy the second. They all went with me to Disneyland. No, you're going to say we went to Disneyland. Because that word we holds all of the Billy Bobs that you got in your family. 
Well, in the same way, grace holds a lot of things. Mercy holds a lot of things. Peace holds a lot of things. And if we just read over this, we miss the message of Jesus. We miss what it looks like to have a father-to-son, father-to-daughter type relationship with God. The word grace and mercy are often confused. So grace means unmerited favor. If you look it up in the Greek, that's what it means. Unmerited favor. Uh, it, it means you have got some kind of favor or honor that you did not deserve based upon nothing that you did. Uh, so it's kind of like this. I, I like racing a lot. Uh, and my grandpa is a race official for uh, sprint cars, World Outlaws. And uh, it's awesome. I, I get to go to Knoxville Nationals every year. It's like the Super Bowl for race fans. It's amazing. A lot of fried food, a lot of drunk people, and really fast cars. Uh, I like one of those things. Uh, and I like that one thing enough to go every year. And the cool thing is, is my grandpa's been an official for so long that uh, he has so much respect. And people honor him so much. And so what he gets to do is he says, hey, can I get my grandson? into the pits where only the officials are supposed to go. And guess what happens? They say, yes. They don't even know me. And so they say, yes. Why? Based upon Jim Farley. Because Jim Farley has earned favor and he shares that favor with me. I get to go places I wouldn't get to go by myself. I get to go places you wouldn't get to go because you're not Jim Farley's grandson. And I'm sorry about it. I get favor that somebody else earned and deserved. This is what Jesus did for you. Like the way God looks at you, and if you, man, if you can believe this, not here, but here, this will change everything. The way God looks at you is based upon the way he looks at Jesus. Like you have access to God the way Jesus of Nazareth had access to God. My prayers come to God the same way Jesus' prayers came to God when he lived on this earth. The the way God loves me and sees me and gives me access to his throne room is the same way he gives Jesus himself access to the throne room of God. Jesus is my brother, and we share the same amount of favor. That is amazing when you think about it. And a lot of us as Christians, we don't believe this. Like We may say we believe it, but, but we act more like God is a drill sergeant. You know, and, and we're kind of, or, or better yet, God's a football coach, and we're not very good at football. <laughs> You know, it's like, I'm just glad to be on the team, but I know he's going to have me doing water. He probably didn't even know my name. Man, I pray, but I doubt they even get there. He's got better people to do that. And maybe I get the pastor to pray for me. He might have a little bit more leverage. I don't. Uh, with God, and if he prays for me, then everything will be good because I'm just kind of, you know, second-tier Christian. I'm like third on the debt chart. I don't even know how they let me off the practice squad. That's how a lot of us feel. But that's not how God is at all. God is a lot more um, like my grandma, Wendy. Uh, she was my uh, she was my soccer coach growing up. We stunk. We lost every game. Do you know why we lost every game? Because my grandma did not care about winning. She cared about me, and I should not have been starting. I mean, I <laughs> should not have played at all, to be honest with you. But guess who started me every game in key positions? Grandma Wendy. Why? Because she was my grandma, and I had favor with her. And she did not care about winning. She cared about relationship. This is how God sees you. He loves you. He delights in you. He just loves seeing you out there, you know, playing soccer, running the wrong way and and picking lilies out. And he just thinks you're so awesome. He loves you. And that is so hard for many of us to believe. We think it's a lot more like the the lady on our honeymoon, Taylor and I went on, uh, who's teaching us how to make chocolate. Uh, so we're, we're on our honeymoon. We're wanting a nice, relaxing honeymoon. And uh, we see this cute little excursion where you go out and you make your own chocolate bar. That sounds fun, doesn't it? 
It's awful. Don't sign up for it. <laughs> we arrive. It was really cool. You know, really pretty place. The Resort de Chocolate or something like that. Uh, and, uh, and so we're waiting. We, you know, we, we enjoy kind of the, the waiting area. And then they, they pull us into this room that is hot, that is muggy. And this lady, probably this tall, comes out and she said, Today we will make chocolate. And uh, I didn't realize so much went into making chocolate, but basically you start with cocoa beans and you pound the cocoa beans into submission until the cocoa beans turn into some sort of chocolate. You add sugar and you add water and you pound some more. And uh, I mean, like, I'm like, this is not cool. This is an exercise. I just want to enjoy some chocolate. I I burnt more calories than I consumed, I guarantee it. And I'm thinking, this is not even going to taste. My sweat is dripping into the, the cocoa beans that I'm... Yeah, I'm, it's just... Aw- and the lady's going around saying, Harder! Faster! You know, she's like yelling at us. I'm like, I'm on my honeymoon, you know? I, like a slave factory here. And uh, you know, this little lady comes over and she looks at my chocolate and she goes, Ah, oh, it's no good. And she pushes me out of the way and she comes in and I kid you, I don't even know. This lady had no biceps and yet she starts pounding the chocolate four times faster than I ever could have. It's miserable, and the chocolate tastes bad, because I'm not good. (laughs) I think a lot of you view God like that, like he's the drill sergeant going around going, oh, this is pathetic, move out the way, let me do. And (laughs) that's probably really offensive, I'm sorry. Uh, It's never stopped me before, though. (laughs) That's not how God sees you. (laughs) That's really not. You have favor with God. You have access to God. And the greatest thing God gives you, I think, is is that you have the Holy Spirit living within you. That wherever you are, there God is also. That's a pretty amazing thing. And he gives us the freedom of choice. He gives us the power to choose. A lot of us, you know, we want God to do things for us. But what God does primarily is is he, he says, I'll work with you. But I want you to have the power of choice. And we have that favor of God working with us. All right, so the second one, first one was grace. The second one is mercy. Now, mercy is usually what people mean when they say grace. Mercy is uh, when I have the power to punish you and you deserve punishment, but I don't give you the punishment. Like that cricket this morning. I had my foot in the air. I had the power, but I did not put my foot down. I showed that little guy mercy, and he's being quiet because he heard me. Uh, Lord, please help him be quiet. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of like when I was a kid, I'd play this game with my dad. Uh, and it was called it was called mercy. And what you'd do is you'd grab onto your dad's hand as hard as you could, and, and he'd grab on probably at about ten percent of what he could. And uh, you you'd squeeze, you'd wrestle each other, and the way you won is the first person to say mercy. They lost, and what you got was the person who was squeezing about to break your wrist would let go and show you mercy. And uh, I remember, like, you know, as a kid playing this game with my dad, and, and I'd try really hard, and, and, you know, he would pretend like I was hurting him, and then, you know, he would just tick it up about 1%. Boom. And I'm like, oh, my wrist, a mercy. And, and he'd let go, and I, I, would, I would win. That's mercy. That's the definition of mercy. I have the power to punish you. You deserve punishment, and yet I'm not going to show you punishment. And here's the thing that a lot of us believe about mercy, and that is that God is going to take it away from us at any time. Like, like, we think that once we believe in Jesus, oh, great, all my sins are forgiven. But I messed up last week, and so now God's like, I don't know about as much mercy as I think I was going to give you. Or, or like, yeah, God gives me mercy for all of these sins, but Blake, he could never give me mercy for this one sin that I have. You know, like, he's, a, he's an evil, mean judge. And I want to turn to another one of John's books. You don't have to turn there. You can just look on the screen. First John, and I want to look at uh, verses 8 through chapter 2, verse 2. 
chapter 1, verse 8 through 2, 2, and it shows us mercy. So John tells us in more detail what mercy looks like. Verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In other words, there's nobody who doesn't have sins, uh, which is a very controversial thing to say, unfortunately, right now in our culture. Like, I know you grew up here and you were God's special little snowflake, and he loved you and you never did anything wrong. But the Bible says, no, we, we all actually have sin. Like, we've all sinned against God, and God takes it very serious. He is a God of justice. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to show us mercy, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See, the first part of mercy is that you have to admit you need mercy. Like, you can wrestle, you can play the wrestle game with God your whole life if you want to. And what Jesus did is he came and he said, look, if you admit that you're a sinner, I will take and I will pay the penalty for your sin. I will pay the bill. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then it says this amazing part, verse 17. For God, if God sent his son not to condemn the world, which he could have done. You have a big rap sheet. He could have said, guilty. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. In other words, Jesus says, I will take your rap sheet. You know, the opposite of everlasting life is what? It's to perish. Jesus came and he perished for you, died on the cross, poured out his innocent blood for your sake and my sake. And now you have a choice when it comes to mercy. You can allow Jesus to pay it or you can pay it yourself. And I hear some people who wrestle with God and they're like, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have some questions for God. You're you're just going to stand there and try to make sure your skin doesn't melt off of your skull is what you're going to do. Like, do you realize how small and insignificant you are compared to God? I hope you do. Like a Dixie cup brain standing in front of the Atlantic Ocean. People say, oh, you know, if God wanted me to be saved, then he'd answer this question for me. Okay, okay, we'll see, buddy. The problem is you think you're God. <laughs> and that goes back to Genesis chapter 3. You see, the world's not messed up because a guy ate from an apple tree. The, the world, it doesn't even say apple, but that's what we all assume. The world's messed up because a guy decided he wanted to be God. And he decided for himself what was right and what was wrong. And he thought he could go against God and wrestle God. And this is what we all do by nature. And we all want to push the limits. We all want to define what is right and what is wrong for ourselves. But you have to admit that God's way, to be a true Christian, you have to admit the way that God's way is the way. And that I need mercy because I've sinned against him. And here's the good news. God is a just judge, but our defense is his son. Okay, there's a reason why in our legal system, your defense attorney cannot be the son of the judge. You know why? Because there's this thing called bias. You know, like it, it probably wouldn't work out really well for the person on the prosecution. And yet what we have in Christianity is Jesus is the son of the judge, which is pretty cool. That's exactly what John says. It says, my little children, I'm writing to you. This is uh, chapter two, verse one. I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father. That's, we got a pretty good advocate. Like, there's a guy in God's ear who's, who's a really good advocate. It says, Jesus Christ the righteous one. Now he doesn't just advocate for us. He pays for it. See, God is just, he has to pay for the sin. Like if you crash into my car and it's your fault, I can decide to show you mercy. Like I have the right to sue you. I have the right to turn you over to insurance. And I decide not to do it out of mercy. Guess what? The car is still broke. Somebody has to pay for it. Like there's really nothing free in this world. Sorry, kids. 
uh, to, to run your perspective on the world. But the, somebody offers you something free, there's a price being paid somewhere. Because that's the way this world works. You know, I see it a lot in our society where people think there are free things. And, and I'm, I'm not saying politically whether it is right or wrong. Um, but there are people who say, you know, we just need to have all the college paid for. Or we just need to have all the health care paid for. And what I would say is, yes, that's great. But somebody still has to pay the bill somewhere. Because that's the way the world works. And so as we see in our sin against God, there has to be a payment for the sin. And here's what we have. Verse 2. It says, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus comes to pay the bill. You wreck the car, Jesus came to pay for the car. If you'll allow him to do it. If you'll believe in him. And if we actually believe this, I think our lives would be so much different. I think, uh, we would, I think most Christians live with kind of a low-level guilt, like feeling like they don't measure up. And if you truly believe that all your sins, the sins you have committed, the sins you're committing now in your mind, and the sins you'll commit later on, all of them have been fully paid for in Jesus. This is radical. So, so I don't have to do anything? No, because it's not advice, it's news. This is it. You want to sign up for this news or not? I'm, I'm announcing to you what is true. Grace, mercy, you guys are going to have to look a little happier. This is good news. Like, you know. Okay. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Uh, peace is uh, shalom, uh, which, which means wholeness or oneness. I think when we think of peace, we often think peace like uh, state of mind, like we're not anxious, we're peaceful, which the Bible does talk about that. But here it's, not, it's talking about wholeness, like we have relationship with God. God is perfectly satisfied with us based upon what Jesus did. In fact, as Jesus died on the cross, uh, it says that the temple curtain was torn in two. Meaning before this time, to be with God, only the priests could go. Only the religious professionals could go into the Holy of Holies. And they had to be completely purified of sin. Otherwise, they would die in the Holy of Holies. And yet when Jesus died, that curtain that divided the Holy of Holies and the ordinary people was torn in two. Meaning now a guy like Blake Farley can prance into the office of God. Which is pretty darn special. Like, I should not be able to do that. Because we live in the Bible Belt, we don't even think about how amazing it is that God even hears our prayers. Like a lot of us, we get mad at God. Like, why didn't God answer my prayers? Or why didn't pray the way I want it to be? Just you'd be happy God even listens to your prayers. You're a worm. And he listens to your prayers. And he doesn't just listen to them. He delights in them. We have access to it. Because there's peace with God. And it's kind of like me. I could not prance into the president's office right now. I couldn't do it. I would get shot. If I even tried to get close, Secret Service would take me out. And yet, you know what? I bet the sons and the grandkids of the president can walk in freely. Did they earn the office? Did they do any of the political? No. But their dad, their grandpa is the president of the United States. They get to prance into the Oval Office. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Let me tell you, you can prance into an office that is way more powerful than the Oval Office. The Oval Office can't do anything. There for four years, he's out. Barely can make any impact on the world when you think about it. The God of this universe, he rules over the kings of the earth. And he says, come to me, son. Come to me, daughter. Because you have wholeness with God. And I think this will restore, if you believe this, it will restore a lot of the hurt that you have from your earthly fathers, your earthly parents. And we all have it because guess what? We're all sinners. So if you're a parent right now, congratulations. You're messing up your kids because you're messed up. Um, the good news is, is we're all messed up. So, you know, it's not like you're on a different level of being messed up than anybody else. Uh, 
the even better news, though, is that there's a good God who wants to be our perfect heavenly father. And uh, for, for me, this kind of this this really hit uh, when I, I was I was in counseling, biblical counseling, and uh, we were talking about some of the, the pressures and anxieties that I feel. And a lot of my kind of motor that makes me go is not out of love. It's out of I want to I want to be seen as special. I want to be seen as good. Like I don't do anything halfway. I want to win. Like, you know, I, I grew up dreaming of being a race car driver. I didn't just want to, like, race one race. I wanted to win 19 championships and be the best there ever was. That's how I've been in everything in my life. And a lot of that is me trying to bear the weight of burdens and take it on. And I was talking to my counselor about it, how sometimes I wish I had an older brother. I'm the, I'm the oldest of all my siblings. And I've always felt this kind of immense weight that I carry. Like, I, I love my siblings. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to be the one who helps them when they need something. I, I feel this pressure to be the role model. Like, I've got to be the sibling who kind of gives the other siblings somebody to, to go to and somebody to want to be like. And I, I think that's a good pressure to feel. I think if you're the oldest sibling, you got to take that pressure on. But what it can do is it can make me feel like I'm carrying all the weight. I'm the one who's got to do everything. And I was telling this to my counselor, and he said, Blake, you do have an older brother. His name is Jesus. And I know that sounds maybe corny to some of you, especially if you're like theologically minded. You're like, okay, that's a little sappy. But for me, it melted me. Because <laughs> I have an older brother who cares deeply about me. And, and for the first time, the way I see my siblings is the way I felt Jesus seeing me. And the Bible actually says that that is the truth. That we're in connection with God the Father. He is our He's our father. We're his sons. And that means Jesus is, is our brother. I think that's really cool. Uh, and, and then there, there's another guy that I, I heard a story of. And, and he was uh, struggling with his own set of issues. And um, he, he, he said, like, they, they boiled it down. And basically it was, you know, my, my dad was always absent. He never showed up to the games. You know, he's the kind of dad who said, I'll be there. And then he was never there. And this grown man, he played in the NFL. Uh, what, you know, huge was just in tears over this with this counselor saying, you know, I've, I've you know, I'm, 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 I still reel from that. And I, that's why I work so hard. That's why I've gotten to where I've gotten. And uh, the counselor just looked at him and he said, you have a father who has never missed a game. You have a father who has been there for every snap of that football. And he said, this old man had, this old man, this big man had his heart shatter in that moment. Like he could just feel the weight falling off of him. And uh, he said, turn on the TV that night, ESPN, and there was like the highlights and the guy was catching a touchdown. So he called him. He said, congratulations on the game. And he said, that was the first time I've ever played for the sheer joy of the game. Man, what if you could live life just for the joy of doing it? You can if you believe that you have peace in Jesus. Peace with God through what Jesus has done for us. Now, Molly uh, and everybody else, you guys want to go ahead and come up. I I told you at the beginning that the Christian life is about trying really hard to follow God's commands. So says 65% of the people in the survey. Trying really hard to follow God's commands. I'll give you my definition for what I believe it's actually like. I believe the Christian life is simply trusting that what Jesus did was for me. And my response is to learn to live as a loved child of God. Which one sounds like good news? (laughs) Working really hard at an impossible mission or realizing you're the son or daughter of the king of this universe and he loves you, he delights in you, and everything that needed to be taken care of was already taken care of in Jesus. That's what I want for us. I've used this illustration a lot because I think it hits parents especially. 
And that is, do you remember when your little ones first started trying to walk? Man, they were goofy. Because uh, their heads are, are way too big for their body, and so they can't balance themselves at all. And, you know, they, like, their first step isn't really a step. They just accidentally didn't fall, basically. Uh, you know, it's like you, you push off a table, and they, they stick out their leg, and they accidentally catch themselves, and then they fall over. And what do you do? Do you go, you dummy? My gosh, you can't even walk. It's like the most basic thing. No, you, you cheer. You clap for a stumbling fool. You say, Yes! They did it. They took their first step. I'm so proud of you. And you take pictures and you call grandma and grandpa and you're just so pumped up. I just gleaked everywhere. You're so pumped up. <laughs> Splash zone is row one. You're so pumped up that your baby walked. That's the way God sees you. An infant in the faith and you think you're stumbling around and God could never love you. He's just delighted that you're walking with him. And everything that needed to be earned for you was earned in Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you. Father, may we live like children of God. God, may your grace and gospel be good news to us personally. Lord, I don't want this just to be a theological thing we believe in our mind. I want it to be a truth that is deep inside of us. God, that I have unmerited favor because of Jesus. I have mercy because of Jesus. I have peace with you because of Jesus. God, I pray for the first time today, maybe somebody who saw the Christian life as trying really hard to live up to God's commands would trust solely in what you have done and learn to live as a loved child of God. Right now, with your eyes closed, head bowed, I want you to take just about 20 seconds. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, we love you. We thank you. I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey what you've spoken to us. It's in your name I pray, amen. Friends, let's stand and sing to this glorious God. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.